So we're going to read tonight from the New Testament. We're reading from Matthew's Gospel. That should be easy to find for those of you who are not very well acquainted, perhaps, with the Bible, Matthew's Gospel. And we're reading from chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, and commencing to read at verse 15. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27, and the 15th verse. It's Passover feast. There's a big crowd gathered at Jerusalem. It's a significant Passover because at this Passover, our Lord is to be crucified. But this is just before the crucifixion and when he's on trial. Now at that feast, the governor was accustomed or wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whither of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. We shall conclude our Bible reading there at verse 26. Let's just pause again for a moment of prayer together before we come to the Scriptures. Loving Lord Jesus, we thank you this evening again that thy word is truth, and the entrance of thy word giveth light. And tonight, Lord, we pray that just now the Holy Spirit himself will be bringing every thought into captivity to the will and purpose of God. We command each mind to the shelter of the Savior's blood. We pray thee, Lord, this evening that that consciousness of the speaking Spirit of God in our hearts that we had in the nights that are gone last week, will be with us in the nights of this week. We pray thee, Lord, for an intensified awareness of the presence of God in the services, night by night. 
Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, Lord, and come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence, and that thou wouldst make a way for thy glory, Lord, into all our hearts. And we pray that we might be drawn, as the Bible says, draw us, Lord, and we will run after thee. And I pray that this night, Lord, there will be people who will be drawn to the cross. Thank you for those amongst us this evening, Lord, whom we see, that we had the joy of seeing drawn to Jesus in days gone by. How good is the God we adore. He never changes. And we pray that what you have done for them, you will do for others even tonight. Help us, Lord, to make the message simple, clear, and plain. By thy Holy Spirit, Lord, we pray that when invitation is given, that there will be a responsiveness in the hearts of the people to move to the cross, to seek the Savior, and to get right with God before they leave the building. Please help me, Lord, I pray, and be glorified in everything that will be said in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. It is really a day of destiny when I read the passage like this and I get into it and begin to see the scene and feel what people must have been feeling at that particular time at the Passover feast and especially now here in Pilate's Judgment Hall. And we have read the setting of the scene and we have read down through the chapter and we came to verse 22 where we find these words. Pilate saith to the people, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? And of course he was pushed into a corner and he was in a particular situation where he had to make a choice. Was it going to be Jesus or Barabbas? We read about that. And that's the background to my message this evening. There is a poem that goes something like this. Once to every man and nation comes the moment to decide. In the strife twixt truth and falsehood for the good or evil side. Some great cause, some great decision, offering each the bloom or blight. And the choice goes by forever twixt that darkness and that light. You may not have caught the significance of all that was said in those two verses, but that day had come for the Roman governor Pontius Pilate. And it came when he was confronted with the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What would he do with Jesus? His wife sent him a message and said to him, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. We read nothing other than that about Pilate's wife. But she was profoundly influenced by something that she had seen or felt about this man Jesus that moved her to send a message to her husband to tell him, have nothing to do with that just man. A little later on we read these words. Pilate brought him out before the people and he said, I find no fault in him. I find no fault in him. And friends, it's absolutely true. There is no fault in Jesus. There is no flaw in the Son of God. He is peerless light through and through. And you and I may be convinced 
more or less, that there is no fault in Jesus. But even though the Pilate said, I find no fault in him, he placed no faith in him either. And it's possible to find no fault in Jesus and have no real justifiable reason as to why you should not be saved, as to why you should decide to continue in your sin. You find no flaw in him. He stands before you in his pearly white glory, and you can't put a finger on anything that is flawed in his life, and yet you have put no faith in him. If a man came with a product, of any description, and of great value, and you checked it out to the, to the utmost extent, and you could see no fault in it, and it perfectly met everything that you needed, you would invest in buying it for your business. In the great business of eternal salvation, when I check the Savior over, when I see His pearly life, when I see His atoning death, when I read about his glorious resurrection, I am brought to the conviction that I have no other justifiable choice but to make him my Savior. And to do that with no delay. And so we all come to that moment this evening. Once to every man and nation comes the moment to decide. In the strife twixt truth in him, and falsehood in Satan, for the good or evil side. It is almost 60 years since I stood at that threshold in my life. As a young man of 16 and a half years of age, I found no fault in him, and I knew that the moment had come for me to step over the threshold and put my hand into the nail-pierced hand of Jesus and experience his so great salvation. I found no fault in him. I could find no reason to longer delay, and I put faith in him. My dear people tonight, young and old, boys and girls, it is great and wonderful when we put faith in him and his wonderful saving grace and experience his powerful salvation. The people had their verdict as well. His wife said, don't have anything to do with him. Let him go. He's a just man. Pilate's conscience said, I find no fault in him. But the crowd said, crucify him. Crucify him. And years ago, and of course down through the years, invariably, Yvonne and I have been back and forward to Israel, and you walk through the old city of Jerusalem, and you walk up the Via Dolorosa, the road or the way of the cross, and out through the Damascus Gate and across the way, and into that lovely little sanctuary, the garden tomb, Gordon's Calvary, is quite close by, and whether it was there or not, it's not really important, somewhere there, near that city, Jesus Jesus, the Son of God, gave his life for me. And whilst I stood there, I saw one hanging on a tree in agony and blood. He fixed his languid eyes on me as near his cross I stood. Oh, can it be that on a tree the Savior died for me? My soul is thrilled. My heart is filled to think and to realize he died for me. 
And every one of us tonight, at some point in life, have come to the point, or may be now at that point, where we feel ourselves to be as an individual at the cross. I was thinking about the meetings last week, and we were talking about the encouragement of so many of God's people having come along to the meetings night by night. And I said to Yvonne, you know, Yvonne, they weren't saved in any big, fantastic movement that sort of swept across in revival. They were saved one here, one there, one somewhere else, some at the lifeboat, somewhere, somewhere else, some in a tent, some in an open-air meeting. And then when we come together, we find ourselves as a band of people who are in the kingdom, who are saved by the grace of God. Now, what has happened to you people as individuals can happen to others that are in the condition that you were in. And you tonight who have never been to the cross, who have never been to the Savior, this can be your night. You can be another one in the family, in the fold, saved by the grace of God. You say, Brother Eric, I used to be bright for Jesus, but somehow along the way, I slipped the moorings and I have drifted far from God. Let me tell you something. Though you may have disappointed him, he's waiting tonight for your return. And he has got a word for you. Return unto me and I will return unto you. That's the word of a perfect promising Savior who will keep his word to the nth degree. I believe tonight that there's a backslider and you need to come back to the Lord. And so for you tonight, you too must do something with Jesus. So what shall I do then with Jesus? Did I ever quote that lovely old challenging hymn? Maybe I did, maybe I didn't. I'll do it right now. Jesus is standing in Pilate's hall, friendless, forsaken, betrayed by all. Hearken what meaneth that sudden call. What will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? Neutral you cannot be. Someday your heart may be asking, what will he do with me? Will you evade him as Pilate did? Or will you choose him whatever betide? Vainly you struggle from him to hide. What will you do with Jesus? Just a few very simple thoughts to hang my message on tonight. First of all, here is a matter for immediate consideration. Sunday night, the Lord's Day evening, not tomorrow night, not Tuesday night, not Friday night, not some other time, but right now in this meeting, this is an issue that's worthy of being settled and should be settled and settled God's way. Because time is not on your side, just as it is not on my side. My life is like a vapor. It's like a tale that's told. Here today, gone tomorrow. Tomorrow's sun may never rise to light my eyes. But for you tonight without Jesus, tomorrow's sun may never rise to light your long deluded eyes. Thou wouldst be saved. Why not tonight? Why not tonight? Absolutely. Why not tonight? Why not? Because the Spirit of God is here. The Lord Jesus is here. 
Praying people are here. God is calling. He is working. He wants you to come. This evening, just gone 6.30, He wants you to make that breakthrough and step right out and come right down and respond to the invitation. That will be given to you in a little while to make your choice and to do what the hymn writer said, I have made my choice forever. Twixt this world and God's dear Son, not can change my mind, no, never. He my heart has fully won. Take my friends and earthly friendships. Is that the problem? Take my friends and earthly friendships. Take them, take them one and all. Give me Christ, my blessed Savior. He is sweeter than them all. Yes, tonight, because the Spirit of God is working on your heart, and He may not always be working. He says, my Spirit shall not always strive with man. Oh, my dear people, we cannot come when we like. We cannot make God a convenience. And there is a God-given time and a God-given opportunity. And this mission is a God-given moment. And not only that, because we speak of the Spirit's working, but the reality that there is only a step between me and death. There is but a heartbeat to eternity. David the king said that, and how true it was. There is but a step between me and death. We must all needs die and are like water spilt upon the ground which cannot be gathered up. But how we die will determine how it will be for us in eternity. If we die in Christ, we will be with Christ. If we die out of Christ, we will be forever separated from Him and we will be forever in the darkness. Or the alternative is if we die in Him, we close our eyes in time, open them in the presence of Jesus and that, says the Apostle Paul, is far better. Far better. You know, friends, there will only be salvation in your heart when you come to the point where you say, now, it will never happen, never happen, as long as you keep saying, another time, tomorrow, some other day. It will never happen. And I find that as time goes on and the years accumulate, that people can become less sensitive to the speaking voice of God. And every time you say no, that little more hardness comes in, that little less prompting of the Spirit. And like the sensitive plant, if you keep touching it, it will shiver and tremble when it's touched the first time, and the second time, and the third time, and the fourth time. But every time it's touched, its tendrils respond a little less. Until there comes a time when its leaves fall down, and it is said to have been touched to death. And that's a tragedy. Whenever the Spirit of God, who is so tenderly working, is rejected and rejected and rejected until he is removed, and the death sentence is on your soul. Infinite, immediate, present, consequence. 
Oh, my dear people, what a wonderful evening to come just as you are to the Lord Jesus. It is a question of immediate consideration. It's not only that, but it's a message of infinite consequence. Because for this man, Pilate, just like us, he was a creature of a day. He would be in the great eternity sooner or later. How soon he didn't know. But finished his days in an asylum in France, washing his hands, a lunatic, and died in that dreadful condition. He could never wash his hands of the blood of Jesus. He was guilty. He was blood guilty. But my dear people, for you and for me this evening, when we think about it, there is a matter that is filled with possibilities of good or evil. I say in my note here, there is no issue where the stakes are so high. There is no issue where the stakes are so high as the issue of what you will do with Jesus. Consequences not only for your conscience, consequences for your family, consequences for your children, consequences for your soul, as I've already inferred, the consequences and influence of what a man does with Jesus project themselves into eternity. We may never feel it. We may not be aware of it. But the Bible says God has placed eternity in our hearts. There is nothing in creation or on the brute creation in all of creation, equal to God's crowning creation, the moral creation, you and me, with the capacity to choose, to worship, to respond to the one who made us. And giving us that tremendous dignity, it also is our great responsibility. God has given you the dignity of being able to make a choice But in being given the dignity of making a choice, there is the awesome responsibility and the awful potential to make the wrong choice and to choose the world and to choose sin and to choose to keep away from Jesus and to die without Jesus. Oh, what a tragedy. In the Jerry McCauley Rescue Mission in America, New York, They had a thing over the door. And as the people would come in, brought in from the streets, and they would be taught and preached, and they would hear the singing and all. And when they would turn round to go out through the doors, there was a scroll above the door and said, If you were to die tonight, where would you be? That's a question that everyone needs to think about. If you were to die tonight, where would you be? Where will you spend or where will you be in eternity? This question comes to you and me. What shall your answer be? Where will you spend? Where will you be? Someone as well said, eternity is never spent. And that's true. It is endless. Where will you be in eternity? In the last eternity, with a Making Melody hymn book, in your hand, in your conscience, unconsciousness, 
with an open Bible perhaps on your lap tonight or sitting in the seat in front of you there in the pew, in the presence of the people of God, with the lights on and the sanctuary filled with the light that fills the sanctuary right now, out in the darkness, aloneness and away from God, and all the memories of opportunity and my voice and other voices like mine that you have heard that have been constantly inviting you, pleading with you, calling you to come and saying to you, now is the time, this is the hour, but to stand as we do on the threshold of two eternities, a heaven to gain, a hell to shun, to flee from this nether region, to get to the height where I am safe in the company of the Savior. Oh, what a change grace can work. Oh, what a transformation it can make in your life and for your eternity. What shall I do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus tonight? What can you do with him? Accept him or reject him? Could I put the question in another form? What will you do without him? What will you do without him? Out of Christ? Without a Savior? With no hope nor refuge nigh? Can it be, O blessed Master, one without thee dares to die? A matter for immediate consideration. Will I decide to follow him now? What if I shall refuse and die in my sin? Can it be that I close my eyes to God's nature light and find myself in outer darkness with no hope of return? And no second opportunity. No one in the congregation with right-thinking mind wants to go to a Christ-rejector's hell. We all intend to be with God in His God-heaven. It's also a matter tonight of individual concern. Your friends cannot make choice for you. My parents were converted, I think, before I was born. Yvonne's parents, too. And we grew up in that atmosphere. But our parents' salvation could not save us. Not your closest friends can make the decision for you. Boys and girls, daddy and mommy are saved. You may not yet be saved. But as little ones, we knew that we needed to be saved. Yvonne used to lie as a little girl before she was in double figures when she was still a little child. And she used to listen to hear if dad and mom were still in the room, in their room, 
still sleeping there because she knew if Jesus would come, they would be gone to be with Jesus. And she felt at ease when she knew they were still there. And then at 10 years of age, and some of you are just in around that kind of time, then at 10 years of age, as a little girl, she knelt down with her sister Irene, and there the two of them came to Jesus in the same night, in the same room, in the bedroom, in the house where they lived, in the big old farm up outside Carrick Fergus. This can be the night when you little girl, boy, can come just as you are. Wesley that you see playing the accordion tonight, Wesley came to Jesus when he was a little boy, six years of age. You're never too young to be saved. And you're never too old to be saved. But you could tragically be too late to be saved. So, It comes to the person, the personal level. Not my neighbor, not the man or woman sitting beside me, not my siblings, me, myself. There are only two individuals that really count at this moment in your life, and that's you. And Jesus. What will you do with Jesus? Even as you go home, maybe you'll be saying, what shall I do with Jesus? I try to fob it off. I try to brush it aside. I try to mellow it down. But somehow I can't get away from it. Eric, even before tonight, even last Lord's Day, even the previous weeks before this mission started, somehow something has been working in my heart. A year ago, you wouldn't have got me in a place like this. You're here as a stranger, perhaps, in the service tonight. You're not accustomed to being in church. And it seems strange. But somehow tonight, church... The building, what's around you, somehow is receding into the background. And more and more there's a person who is standing unseen but real before you. He sees you in your heart. He's weighing you in your conscience. He's addressing you. And he's pleading with you. And he wants you. And on the night that I came, it seemed as if I was the only one. I was oblivious to everybody else around me. And as Michael Parrott was coming through the message and getting nearer the end, I was already prepared in my heart to say, and had already said that day, tonight on the farm, I said, if you spare me till tonight, Lord, I will be saved. I was ready. And once he gave the invitation, I made the move. Didn't have to push me. Didn't have to sing a lot of hymns or verses. Didn't have to cajole me and call me and plead with me. No, my dear people, I was ready to move. Are you ready to move? Say, oh, yes, 
Pastor Eric, I'm ready to move. I'm ready to come. I'm going to make the step tonight. God helping me. This is my night. Goodbye sin. Goodbye world. Goodbye devil. Welcome Jesus. Oh yes, I hear thy welcome voice, Lord Jesus, that calls me now to thee for cleansing in thy precious blood that flowed in Calvary. What does the chorus say? I am coming, Lord. Amen. Oh, isn't it? I tell you, brothers and sisters, aren't we glad we came to Jesus? Amen. Yes? Aren't we glad that there was somebody who spoke into our hearts and above every human voice, the voice of Jesus? You know, I'm looking at two guys here sitting in the front and I'm looking at them 52 years ago. Come next spring, they both came to Jesus Christ in the same week. Three boys in one week. And here they are now, nearly as old as me. Mature men who have never looked back. I, I remember the nights. What about you tonight? Will we look back in years to come if God would give me another 50 years? I'd be 120. <laughs> and I'd look back and say, oh, you remember that night down the lifeboat back in the, back in the early part of the 21st century whenever that boy, that man, that woman, that little fellow, that little girl came to Jesus? And 50 years from now, you'll be a man 60 years old or a woman 65 years old. And you say, I came that night. Wonderful. You know, dear friends, I have a good hunch that Jesus will be back before that. He is coming again. And he's coming soon. Are you ready? My time is gone. And for the boys and girls, I don't want to keep you late, make you tired for school in the morning. But for all who can follow me closely, this is a moment of high destiny. It is a moment of high stakes. It is a moment whenever a precious jewel called your soul is being played on by the Spirit's power. And what are you going to do with the jewel? Toss it to the wind? Or put it into the safety of the Savior's hand? What are you going to do with it? I say again, no one else can make the choice for you. Only yourself. Almost persuaded. Almost persuaded. Now to believe. Almost persuaded. The Lord Jesus to receive. Seems now. Here's the solemn but Seems now. Some soul to say. Go spirit. Go thy way. Some more convenient day on thee I'll call. Almost persuaded, come, 
come today, almost persuaded, turn not away. Jesus invites you here. Angels are lingering near. Prayers rise from hearts so dear. O wanderer, come. Come. Are you ready to come? Are you listening? I said that to a gentleman some years ago. He comes to hear me every summer in the big drive-ins at Port Rush when we were doing them. I said to him, you know, you've listened to me a lot. Are, are you hearing me? Oh, yes, he says, I'm hearing you. I said, but are you listening? I'm hearing. Are you listening? Have you engaged? Engaged to the point where you're willing to say, Pastor Eric, on the authority of God's message and the Savior's invitation and the issues that are at stake, I will be the Lord's. I will be His. This is my time. This is my moment. In the light of the cross, in the light of eternity, in the light of missing the harbor, I will close with the Savior. Once to every man a nation. comes the moment to decide. The moment has come. I invite you to him. I invite you to him. Come. Come just as you are. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, except the Holy Spirit does the work, no human voice nor message can accomplish anything. And so, Lord, we are bankrupt upon thyself this night. Thou must save, and thou alone. Salvation is of the Lord. It's not in a church. It's not in a preacher. It's not in a minister, bishop, or anybody else. It is only in Jesus, the Son of God. And Father, I pray this night, Lord, that grace will be given, help and strength to those this evening who are at the point to yield 
and to say, yes, I will be the Savior's. I will be Christ tonight. What shall I do with Jesus? I will reject him no longer. Just now, my doubtings give o'er. Just now, reject him no more. Just now, I will swing open the door and I will let Jesus come in to my heart. Oh, Father, do this work, we pray, and work mightily for thy glory as we sing our closing hymn. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen.